1: And good evening, one and all, and welcome to the X-Zone. I am Rob McConnell, and for the next four hours, I'm your host and your guide as together we cross this time-space continuum to a place that I call the X-Zone. It's a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. It's a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality, and the X-Zone comes to you Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern. Right here on the Exxon Broadcast Network, Talkstar Radio Network, Mutual Broadcast Network, Simul Radio and Simul TV and our fine family of broadcast affiliates right around the world. If you'd like to uh, send me an email, exxon at exxonradiotv.com on all social media sites, TV, And for our broadcast schedule of our Exxon Broadcast Network, that is broadcast 724-365 with our compliments including our very many fine shows that we have, visit www.xzbn.net. My first guest tonight ExoNation is Dr. Betty Kovacs. She earned her doctorate at the University of California, Irvine, in comparative literature and theory of symbolic myth, uh, mythic language. She served many years as chair and program chair on the Board of Directors of the Young Society of Claremont in California and sits on the Academic Advisory Board of Forever Family Foundation. She is author of Merchants of Light, The Consciousness That Is Changing the World. It's the winner of the Nautilus Silver Book Award and the Scientific and Medical Network 2019 Book Prize. She has also written The Miracle of Death, There Is Nothing But Life, she speaks to national and global audiences through webinars, media interviews, and keynote presentations. Her website is www.comlack.com. And joining me this hour is Dr. Betty Kovacs. And doctor, welcome to the Exxon. Thank you so much. Tell us, uh, where did your journey begin, doctor, in uh, in the field of the light, death, mythic, and so on? <laughs>
2: Well, I had always been interested in whether there was anything beyond materialism. Mm -hmm. I certainly didn't know and had no evidence of knowing for years, but I somewhat fell into studying mythic and symbolic language because I was interested in dreams, and I had become interested because of Carl Jung, Mm. uh, the Swiss psychiatrist, so I, I paid attention to my dreams and... There were indications in the dreams of something so much larger than the consciousness of everyday life. But still, I didn't know where to go with it. So I really began to research to see what had my ancestors experienced, what had their experiences been, and how might my, my, my dreams, what I saw in my dreams, relate to their experiences. So then that became a, a long life of studying mythic structures, because I came to realize, and again, I, I learned this from Carl Jung, that a sacred text is not a sacred text because uh, an organization says it is, but because it is structured by the organizing principles of the human psyche. So in my study of worldwide myths, I could see, of course, these structures are similar different stories but similar structure and those structures were always to initiate and support our evolution our increasing of consciousness.
1: Now when it comes to dreams doctor how important are dreams to a person?
2: Well I think they're very important because they are created out Mm -hmm. of the human psyche or soul and they do give guidance uh, although that th- sometimes there are dreams that you feel there's really nothing there and that maybe yeah. I ate too much the night before, and that may be true. Mm-hmm. But when we have a big dream, we know it because the feeling structure is there. And I've had dreams that were profound, but I didn't really understand. Uh, for Many years later, uh, just for a quick example, Okay. Uh, in Miracle of Death, I talked about my son's uh, death and yeah. my husband's, but I had a dream when I was pregnant uh, with my son that was had so many elements that I did not understand until the event had taken place. And even after his father's accident, then I could understand that dream better. And for two years before our son's death, I dreamed of his death, but in symbolic ways that I could always... Mm. Think perhaps it meant something else, but uh, when after he died, I could see that my psyche was taking me step by step through an, an awareness that his death was coming, and I grieved in those dreams, and I know that that helped me uh, to to bear his death when it did happen. I had already, through the dreams, gone through it to some degree, so they're helpful. In, in that kind of way, but they also help us to realize where we are in our development and where we need to go.
1: How does a, How is a dream able to foretell what is going to happen in the future?
2: Well, I think that's one of the most difficult questions, but uh, my feeling is it's not determined, nothing is determined, mm-hmm. but the dream is in a timeless universe Or as the visionary world has told me many times, everything in the universe, everything is now. It's all happening simultaneously. It's now. And that's so hard to understand that it doesn't quite make sense. But uh, my son also at 12 had a dream of his death, and he saw himself in a hospital which he was in a trauma center. He saw himself in that trauma center. He was up above looking down at his dead body. Actually, I'm sure it would have been dead had it not been on machines. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he said, and then there was a dark space and then it shifted and he was on the other side. And um, that was such a powerful dream. And then the year of his death, he had it again. And he saw that he had died through a huge crash It was just a huge blow. And then he saw himself in the hospital again, and then he left that body realizing that was not him anymore and shot through the cosmos, passing planets and suns so fast he said that they popped. But I think that uh, that was not determined either. I didn't feel that it was determined. I just think that, again, I had to go back to the statement that always occurred, and that was that in the universe there is only now.
1: If that is the case, Doctor, then why did your son have to die?
2: Well, you know, I think there are always many reasons for our deaths, Mm -hmm. but we felt, and we experienced, my husband and I, experienced his consciousness after he died, and he said, first of all, he wanted us to remember that there is life after death that consciousness continues. And also he wanted us to remember that we had made these decisions that we had, that there were decisions we had made in life and that I felt and my husband felt too, that it was his choice and that his purpose extended beyond this life, that he was still working with us from there. And my husband was not interested in these things right. before Pishti's death but when he started having the experiences he said to me I I had no idea what you were talking about and I will never look at the earth in the same way again so we both changed tremendously with the visions that occurred after his death and he was creating, continuing to create and, and happy I mean it wasn't a it was a completely different uh, view from what we get here on the earth.
1: Many other, so the... May, many other professionals believe that when we have, or when people experience the feeling of a consciousness around us, that this is just a normal part of gr- the grievingness period and how one grieves because they don't want to acknowledge or they don't want to face the reality that someone has actually gone, that their consciousness remains. How do we differentiate between the grieving period, as many psychiatrists believe is the cause of these feelings, compared to the actuality that you and your husband felt?
2: You know, uh, that has been a question uh, for centuries. Mm-hmm. And really, it's answered by the word gnosis, is that when you experience something that is real, that you know it. Uh, and some of the, I remember in a vision I had before my son died, Right. Uh, I it, it was it, it was my consciousness was so expanded that had I asked the question, "Is it real? it would have been hysterically funny. Mm-hmm. It just that as mystics always say, when you experience some, something like that, you know it. The experience is like nothing else. On the other hand, I have to add though, that I have kind of a rational mind and definitely wanted ways that I could verify it. But my husband, new things that from my life that we had never discussed because my son on the other side had told him these things. And then there were other experiences that we had uh, that were so precise that connected right. with one thing to another that we couldn't have known unless we actually were having that conscious experience.
1: Now, you were telling us that you had the dreams about your son's death. And you believe it was to prepare you for the inevitable. Did you also have the dreams of your husband's death?
2: I did. And I was able to look at them all mm-hmm. as symbolically and find other ways of understanding them. So I didn't suffer or anticipate his actual dying. And now that I look back, I think, how, how was I able to do that? But symbolically, we don't know sometimes. It could be literal, something mm-hmm. that might literally happen, or it could be a symbolic A story that we need to understand so it
1: all right in the case of your husband and your son's passing in these horrific automobile accidents having had the premonition during a dream did you do anything or was there anything you could have done with the knowledge of the accident coming to prevent that accident from happening and to extend the life of your husband and your son
2: Yes, that's what we always, you know, want to do. Mm-hmm. But as I said, I did look at it symbolically, and and I didn't worry about it. Um, and there were many dreams, but I, I did look at them symbolically. Uh, now, my husband, who never paid attention to his dreams or had a vision, mm-hmm. two weeks before our son's death, he was in his office here at home, and suddenly he saw Pishti's car, or son's car, off the freeway, just off the edge of the freeway, and he saw his body superimposed on it. And, and he, he knew he was dead because it was superimposed. And then it, it was horrifying to him, but then he heard himself say, oh, that's right, it's almost time for you to do this. And that horrified him even more. But Pishti said to him then, dad, That's right. I will be out of the house for a little while. Well, Istvan, it was such a horrible thing that he Mm -hmm. became totally unconscious. He he didn't remember that dream until the phone rang and the hospital called us. So with that, he would have wanted to try to do something, but he couldn't remember it. And I think for good reason. Uh, And... And later, we didn't know what being out of the house for a little while. He only told me after Pishti died. But uh, we realized later that we really did experience his consciousness. Uh, it changed our lives. And uh, and that was another reason that I wanted mm-hmm. to go back and do the research. And I All right, Dr. I hate
1: to interrupt you, but I've got to yeah. take my commercial break here. Please stand okay, by. Great. Uh Dr. Betty Kovacs is our special guest this hour. Her website is... K A M L A K dot com, Comlac dot com, and she is the author of Merchants of Light: The Consciousness That Is Changing the World. And we'll be back on the other side of this break as the action continues. With yours truly, Rob McConnell from our broadcast center and studios in Niagara, Ontario, Canada. We've been,
0: we've been. Everybody likes a celebration Happy music and conversation I'd be lying if I said I didn't have the blues In the corner there's a couple dancing From the kitchen I can hear them laughing Oh I wish I was celebrating
1: and welcome back, everyone. Dr. Betty Kovacs is my special guest for this hour. The website is comlac.com. And uh, Dr. Kovacs is the author of Merchants of Light, the Consciousness that is Changing the World. And where is your book available, doctor?
2: It's available at all places where books are sold, as well as the uh, Comlock website.
1: Excellent. Do you think that our lives are predestined?
2: No, I don't. Uh, I think that we are creative beyond anything we have been taught to believe Mm -hmm. about ourselves. And that's one thing in my research I certainly discovered, that uh, our ancestors around 40,000 BCE discovered techniques that would shift consciousness into a much higher state, and out of those experiences they developed cultures, shamanic, mystic, and scientific culture. So science was way before uh, we think it was existing, and it was a, a complete science of both the outer world of matter and the inner world of consciousness. But I think that what we realized in the shifted state of consciousness is that... Uh, we are creative. It is not determined. I think we may make decisions on the other side, mm-hmm. uh, and then, of course, we have to see how they play out sure. here. But I don't at all, I, at least I can't say from my experience, have I ever since any sense of determination.
1: Where is the other side that you speak of?
2: Well, (laughs) I guess it's uh, here, there, and everywhere. I mean, it's not so much a there Mm -hmm. as a, a state of consciousness. But you know, through quantum physics, we know that there are many dimensions of reality.
1: But how do we how do we know that? How has it been proven? I hear this a lot, but up until this time, no one, no quantum physicist, no no scientist, can actually show proof that there are. Multiple universes. There are theories, but when push comes to shove, there's no proof.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, I guess it's what we need for proof. Now, from the inner experience, mm-hmm. of course, the proof is the experience. But from the quantum physicist position, he has—they have discovered, uh, for instance, a quantum field, which they describe mm-hmm. exactly as. a a mystic would describe. It's so interesting because in my research, I found this very, very interesting that the mystic will have an experience and he describes this quantum field in which it is a field of all fields. And he describes it, gives it characteristics. And then when you read from the quantum physicist, when they describe the field, it's very similar. So that strikes me as a form of evidence that's very convincing. But since I'm not a physicist, I can't say more about how right. they have arrived at their theories. But
1: isn't that the same as in the in the Bible when when Christ says that he is the alpha and he is the omega, he is all encompassing? Isn't that the exact same thing that quantum physicists are claiming? That there is this unified field.
2: Well, you could yes, that could be a symbolic form of it.
1: But once again, symbology does not come to fact.
2: Well, that's a different thing, though, from a physicist describing the kinds of information he gets about this field. Hmm. You know, I think and when he could describe it in his own way, or then the mystic could describe it by using that quotation which you gave of Jesus, it's... uh, Symbolic language is one way, and it's not what the rational mind wants. But the physicist can give, I think, uh, quite a bit of evidence about the existence of these fields because of the effects of the fields.
1: Would it be safe to say that a mystic is a dreamer?
2: Well, a dreamer certainly would dream in symbolic language, partly at least. A mystic... It's a little bit different. There are two definitions really of mystic. One is simply a person who works with symbolic language. Another one is that the person has experiences beyond both the rational and the symbolic levels of consciousness. It goes into that ideal pure state of consciousness in which there is nothing but everything, (laughs) is the way the mystics describe it. So, since not too many actually experience that full state of mysticism, of pure consciousness, most of us experience the symbolic levels of that. And so mysticism is both those levels now. You can refer to a mystic as both one who works in symbolism and one who has experienced a consciousness beyond symbol and logic.
1: Isn't it also true that mysticism, uh, mystics, and other dreamers and philosophers have been said by many outside of the mystical world that this is their way of escaping reality to giving reason where no reason is, other reason could be found.
2: <laughs> it, but that's, that would be from the rational position. Uh, but once you've experienced it, you know that you're experiencing a reality that's far vaster. And all mystics mm-hmm. say that many who work in symbolic language know that because they've experienced it. Uh, I think that I had said earlier, I'm not sure that at 40,000 BCE, our ancestors developed techniques of shifting consciousness from the ordinary to the higher state. And when they were in that higher state, they were aware of everything was different. It was looked at every I mean, they would say, oh, my, no, we're not escaping. We are going to much faster consciousness. So when one has experienced these things, just as my husband, he didn't know. In fact, I tried to tell him something one day and he was reading the newspaper, not a good time to try to tell him, Mm -hmm. but he obviously kept looking back at the newspaper. And he said to me, you know, I know what you've experienced. I, I trust you, I know you, I know that you've experienced that, but I've never had anything like that. And I just can't come, I can't deal with it. I don't know what it is. And I think that's exactly what happens to us. It's It looks like we might be trying to escape reality, but when we've had the experience, it's just like he said, I will never look at the world in the same way. So mm-hmm. he would never think of escaping. It was like something that transformed him totally. And he became my anchor, actually, in all of it.
1: Why is it that not everybody... Why is it that this... Great breakthrough that came so many years ago was lost and how well, I, come not everybody has this mystical experience
2: that's right and that's a, a wonderful question I think through the vicissitudes of history sometimes these uh, communities were lost mm-hmm. because they were the original communities once our ancestors knew how to experience this consciousness they had the rituals they had the techniques and tried to initiate others into them. But uh, once at the church, once the Roman church had power, which was about the fourth century Mm -hmm. uh, BCE, they destroyed those cultures. There was no way those cultures could survive. And so they, of course, burned the text of every tradition that would even come close to a shamanic but, mystic but tradition. No,
1: but, but, Doctor, the Roman Catholic Church did not have power around the world. If this was so, if this mystic power was so, then it would have survived the areas outside of, controlled by the Catholic Church. It didn't.
2: Yes, it, well, it did in the East, in India and in Tibet, in various places, they were allowed to survive. Uh, my research really covers just the Western mm-hmm. world, but and in the Western world, uh, that was pretty much the case. Uh, but in the East, they did survive, and we didn't even know that we had anything like what the East has uh, until we began to discover the shamanic culture of. Egypt, for example, a very powerful shamanic visionary mystic culture, and then we also discovered that first temple Judaism also was a shamanic mystic culture, and uh, that was destroyed by the Deuteronomist, and then of course when the Roman Church did have the power, they did indeed uh, murder and dest- people and destroy the text, and. It was even because of the Roman Church that, uh, that we have materialistic science because they would not allow the shaman, mystic, scientists. let's say of the 17th century, for example, uh, in, during the Rosicrucian Enlightenment, as it's called, mm-hmm. they wouldn't uh, allow them to study the inner world. They were, but they completely were destroyed. And when the Royal Society of England for the study of science developed after that, uh, they could not study anything but matter. And that is why we had the horrible centuries of a materialistic science in which we are nothing, we have no meaning, no purpose, we're a fluke of nature. Mm. And thank God, with quantum physics, we're going beyond that. Hopefully. <laughs> oh, yes, I, yeah, yeah. Hopefully, I, because hopefully. nothing is
1: certain, especially since quantum physics is based on theory.
2: Well, I wish I were a quantum physicist so that I could speak uh, truly intelligently Mm -hmm. about that, but they they have some pretty good evidence, let's put it that way.
1: (laughs) If this was the way it was way back when, even though there was suppression, alleged uh, suppression by the different uh, religious philosophies that did not believe in mysticism, what proof do we have today that It really did exist to the extent that you claim it did.
2: Well, that's what my book is about, and I tried to give that evidence in the book, Mm -hmm. starting with the cave cultures. uh, There's evidence now that there were rituals within those cultures, Mm -hmm. uh, and we see the shamanic ritual evidence in in uh, the caves, I think one of them is Lascaux, where we see the shaman and the bison and the other elements of shamanism there. There's also evidence that they worked with sacred plants uh, that uh, early on, and that that shifted them also into altered states. But I think I mentioned, I'm not sure about the rituals, how they the repetitive rituals can uh, trigger the brain to produce a slow brain wave that integrates the various brain components and that means the heart. Uh, And that is one of the real problems is that we have these various brain components but we've lost knowledge, what we did have, of how to integrate them techniques to integrate them. And you uh, know that Carl Sagan said that the hallmark of a successful, long-lived civilization mm-hmm. may be the ability to uh, achieve a lasting peace among the uh, various brain components. And what we did is that uh, after the church had stopped any uh, uh, activity, a known activity, of course they all went underground, is that um, uh, after after that happened, we could not, we severed ourselves from the rational, from the rational brain severed itself from all the other brain components, and we no longer remembered that the heart is a brain component. It's 100 times stronger in its electromagnetic field, and it gives many frequencies once it's entrained with the brain to the brain and triggers the uh, prefrontal lobes to give many frequencies to the heart and the brain. So we lost that knowledge. And I think that when we do entrain the heart with the other components Mm -hmm. uh, and not sever just this rational brain from it, that's been our problem. And having had science back us up on that, because science could only study the material world, and they said there's nothing to experience. And so we lost all of the techniques and really the knowledge that the heart... Must be connected to the other components and the other components must all be integrated. All right, stand so by,
1: Doctor. I've got to take my news break at the bottom of okay. the hour. Exonation, Dr. Betty Kovacs is our special guest. She is the author of Merchants of Light. The website is comlac.com. This is the Exon. I am Rob McConnell. Send me your thoughts. I love getting your emails. Love some of the comments. If you've got a guest suggestion, please send it to me. Exon at TV.com. I'll be back after this news break. Don't go away.
0: From the kitchen, I can hear laughing. Oh, I wish I was celebrating too.
1: So, nice Dr. Betty Kovacs is my guest. Her website is comlack.com and that's K-A-M-L-A-K dot com. Uh, doctor, what was the major discovery that you made while doing research for your book, Merchants of Light?
2: Well, the major, the major discoveries were about the ancestors from 40,000 mm. BCE discovering that their ordinary consciousness could be elevated through certain techniques and that it opened the universe for them. Uh, we don't have that much information from the cave cultures, but we do have from the San Bushmen uh, who, in the Kalahari Desert. Here were these people who were looked down on for so long and murdered as a culture, and yet we now know that for thousands and thousands of years, they have techniques of achieving what they call a cosmic consciousness and is is that vast consciousness beyond ordinary consciousness and very joyful people Uh, so that was an interesting thing to Mm. realize that in the early stages of our development that there were those who could achieve this expanded state of consciousness Uh, but i the wonderful thing was to realize that this was carried uh, throughout as i said before the egyptian the judaic and Uh, Also, the pre-Socratic philosophers in Greece from Anatolia, they influenced Plato tremendously. So to see how these, and they were shaman mystic and scientist, very roots and bases of a Western culture, and uh, uh, Peter Kingsley has talked about that very uh, well, but to realize that this was the essence of who we were for so long. And yet it was constantly suppressed and repressed. And yet it came back again and again. We had actually not one European Renaissance. We had four. And we are now in the fifth one in Western culture. But each time there was a Renaissance, it was the rebirth of this shaman mystic scientific knowledge. So that was that was very... Um, It was just very informative and gave me a lot of peace to know that that we were able to achieve that again and again. But it didn't give me so much peace to see how it had been repressed and suppressed until we forgot who we were, that we had this, this knowledge and that we had an ability to unify the brain components and experience something far beyond ordinary consciousness.
1: So what happened to this culture? Why did it not thrive if they were so smart? if they were so enlightened?
2: Well, uh, they they were murdered for one thing and their texts were, burnt. well, many of them, did, well, some of them did have the text, Yes, others was not written down, mm-hmm. but that was one thing, but they didn't really die out because when they were suppressed and repressed, they went underground. So there's Kabbalah, which is the ancient first temple tradition, which went underground and then it came up in Europe. And there was, uh, of course, even in Christianity, there was a Christianity that went underground too—the contemplative Christianity, who really understood that the mystic Jesus was—and we know this also from the Nagamati texts, which, text, which were just discovered just after the war. They had been, uh, they would have been destroyed, but the priests buried them, and then we found them. And in that, Jesus does not teach us that he is God. He's saying that when you drink from my mouth, you and I are one. In other words, he had experienced a higher consciousness, and that's what he wanted to initiate in all of us.
1: And uh, Now, I'm a Christian, and I have never known Christ to claim to be God. So I don't know how that came to be.
2: The Son of God, you've not heard that?
1: The Son of God, definitely, but you said, you know, Christ was not God, and we all know that.
2: Well, uh, very often Christians teach that the Son of God would therefore be God. He is divine, and we are not. But uh, the ancients taught that we are all divine, and that's Mm -hmm. what Jesus in the Nag Hammadi text taught as well.
1: Well, that's what Jesus in the King James Bible teaches as well.
2: Well, that's good, because they do have his, many of the texts there, they've been, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of them have been changed, but yeah. that is there, and we were, we were brought up on that, which yeah. I'm grateful for.
1: So, what is, this, what is the secret t- uh, tradition that you talk about in your book? Was this the secret uh, tradition that uh, Jesus was not God, that he was the Son of God, and that we're all divine?
2: Well, it there was a secret tradition yes that is said to have been taught by Jesus and that was that everything in the universe is one and it is all divine mm-hmm. and we are all immortal and we are all creative co-creative and that Jesus was an example of one who had achieved cosmic consciousness and what what the christians say that Jesus was divine, mm-hmm. but that he also taught that we are to achieve that consciousness as well, and that that his teachings were to help us to achieve that. Well
1: I, I don't think he used the word consciousness. I, I think what he was getting at is in the in the, you know uh, in the book of Genesis it says it all, and God said, Let us create man in our image, in our likeness. Therefore, if I'm created in God's likeness, his image, I myself am God Being a higher consciousness and a higher deity.
2: Yes, that does come through uh, the Bible in many places. On the other hand, we are also told that we are nothing. (laughs) You know, well, who
1: who says we're nothing?
2: Well, you know, in the story that the Deuteronomist told of the tree, is Mm -hmm. that. Uh, we are condemned to dust, from dust we came, yeah. to dust we will go, mm-hmm. and that the earth is cursed, we are cursed because we ate of the tree. This, by the way, is a complete inversion of the actual mythic uh, symbolic tale, yeah. but it was to control us and... Uh, and you know, I, certainly that's a tradition within Christianity, and it's wonderful that you have had the tradition that is, uh, I would think, much closer to that secret tradition.
1: Well, there's nothing secret about it. I'm an Anglican, and this is what Anglicans believe in.
2: That's good. You know, that's the, no, good. no
1: secret. No secret at all. Um,
2: well, the contemplative Christianity certainly lives that uh, secret tradition. It was secret in Jesus' time, uh, that was he taught to the disciples of how to shift into that state of consciousness. Uh, but uh, you know, it, there were, for instance, at uh, uh, the cathedral uh, at uh, Chart, mm-hmm. they from one thousand uh, had an incredible. Uh, wisdom school in which that was exactly what was taught. But you and I both know that the Church didn't always confirm that.
1: But we also know that the Bible is, you know, is a, is a combination, a culmination of many different books. And we also know that during the Council of Nicaeus, that many, many volumes were taken out. So That's how right. can we look at Deuteronomy and say, well, this, is, this has got to be true?
2: Yes, well, I'm not saying that. That Deuteronomy has to be true. I'm saying they were politicians who wrote for a particular purpose, and that that wasn't the Christian later mm-hmm. Christian message, nor oh, the see. message okay. of the first temple. They destroyed gotcha. the wisdom text, the tradition of the first temple. So they were an aberration. That's what I'm saying. And some of those aberrations were continued by the Roman Church, but other branches of Christianity went by what they, uh, by the hidden tradition, by that tradition that became uh, there whole way of life. There are two traditions, clearly, more than just one, probably two. But uh...
1: but isn't it, isn't it true that a philosophy, whether it's a religious philosophy or even Plato's philosophies, when it comes to the, the fabled city of Atlantis, that, you know... How can we take anything as valid that Plato said? Because nobody has found any evidence whatsoever to substantiate his claims of the lost continent of Atlantis.
2: Well, actually, there is quite a bit of evidence that's accumulating now. For instance, in Egypt, the walls there uh, of Edfu, the Temple of Edfu, mm-hmm. have texts on them that give very much the same story that Plato told about, that there was another civilization that did Uh, sink that was destroyed, and that they came to Egypt. So, you Mm -hmm. know... uh,
1: But a story without proof is just a story.
2: Well, you know, if you find on the walls of an ancient temple, the Uh writing, which is even more ancient, then you have to say, well, perhaps this is a possibility. And then you have to look for other pieces of evidence, which I think some people are finding.
1: Maybe my investigative training has made me a little harder to convince when there's no actual physical evidence. I go by proof. You know, when somebody says A, B, C, D, E, F, G, well, where's your proof? Oh, well, we don't have it, but A, B, C, D, E, F, G is there. Well, uh, that to me isn't proof.
2: With with
1: With all the technology that we have today, a lot of these claims... Whether they be from the walls uh, of a temple in Egypt or on the former wall between Germany and the rest of Europe, unless there's anything to prove that what is said is real, it's just just a story at, at that time.
2: Well, you know there are many ways of looking at this. I think as a uh-huh. researcher. Uh, and certainly, uh, if we are trained in research, we all look for proof. But we also have to look at many different kinds of evidence. and uh, and then we don't have we can't necessarily say this is the actual fact, and this is the way it was, mm-hmm. but we assemble together all of those pieces that suggest something, and then we say, this looks probable, perhaps.
1: okay. So, are, are, are we led to believe that history is based on probabilities and not actualities?
2: Well, you know, it's uh, let me give an example of okay. old Europe. Uh, the archaeologist Maria Gambuda spent years working with the artifacts there. Mm-hmm. And most of the artifacts, at least half a million of them, gave pretty good evidence that there was a matri-focal, not a matri-central, but a matri culture because the artifacts were overwhelmingly feminine. And it, so that gave her a clue that this culture had an entirely different symbolic system. Mm-hmm. And so perhaps it was a different form of consciousness there. Uh, how could she prove it? Well, she could prove if one looked at them, although many of the scholars would never look at the artifacts, but the artifacts are available, and she did a lot to get them printed so that one could see all of them. Mm -hmm. And they do suggest a very different kind of culture than the one that came in what we call history. So, yes, the artifacts are real. You can see them, you can touch them.
1: All right, the the artifacts are real, but is the interpretation correct?
2: It might not be, no interpretation. Oh, there you go. I mean, every interpretation could uh, have... It could be questioned, right. but if you <laughs> researches, if you look at a million or a half a million artifacts and you look that of, at them within the context, you can get a very good idea of the nature of the culture. Scholars have had a very difficult time in the Western world at understanding prehistorical cultures because they did have a very different symbolic system, different belief system, and it was still rooted in that ancient schematic way in which the feminine was seen was understood as soul as heart as feeling as nature and you can see her in hundreds of different contexts in which that is pretty clear so that would be an interpretation now someone might say i don't want to go along with that where's the proof and then you would have to let them have that view
1: all right stand by you and i have to take our final break for this hour and Exxon Nation, if you'd like more information about our guest this hour, visit her website, k a m l a k dot I'm Rob McConnell. This is the Exxon. And we're coming to you around the world on the Exxon Broadcast Network, Talkstar Radio Network, Mutual Broadcast Network, and on Simul Radio and Simul TV. We'll be back after this break. Don't go
0: away.
1: And we're back. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. Don't forget, you can find out all about the great programming we have available for you, 724-365 on the Exxon Broadcast Network at www.xzbn.net. And for the Exxon TV channel, exclusive to Simul TV, and we can be found on Roku through Simul TV and some many other uh, audio-video programs, platforms as well as television stations throughout the United States, Canada, and Europe just by going to Simultv.com. In your opinion, what is the blueprint for our consciousness evolution, Doctor?
2: Well, that's what I was talking about earlier, that these stories are sacred. That's the word that is used Mm -hmm. for stories that actually are organized by these evolutionary principles that are within us. Uh, Carl Jung used to say uh, that an acorn is, if you plant it, of course, you are going to get an oak tree. So I think that the psyche is like that. It has the seeds in it. It has the organizing principles. And in that way, we, we are able to grow and develop. We, we are guided by those principles.
1: With all the great civilizations that some claim have existed in the past, how come they, you know, we can blame it on the church by by burning their texts, by, you know, taking them over or or whatever. How come, if they were that smart, that they didn't see this coming and make, you know, prepare themselves so that in case they were taken over, in case their texts were burned in case their lessons were abolished, that there would be a plan B. Everybody knows when you have a plan A, you have to have a plan C, D, E, and F. And yet these these cultures that apparently were so much superior, they didn't.
2: Well, I think they did, because they went underground, and they are now available to us, actually. These underground traditions of Kabbalah, of... Uh, contemplative Christianity, of alchemy. I mean, think the alchemists worked for 17th centuries underground. Mm-hmm. They couldn't be known, but they are, They, when they couldn't uh, be on the surface, there was a period of time when they could uh, do their work together. But when that was no longer possible, they went underground and they are still in existence. So they did have a plan. Did it work? well it's uh, has been what initiated every single awakening in western culture and it is here today and that is up to us what we can do with these teachings and with this knowledge and with our own ability Mm -hmm. to experience our own vastness that's what it's all about it's not like trying to change us into something else it's it's that we if we go inward as the Nag Hammadi text, if you bring forth what is within you, Jesus said, what is within you will save you. But if you don't bring it forth, it will destroy you. So it's our choice. And I, they are here to help us along with the, the church. I mean, we are taught and learned very much by the Christian churches, and the Christian church is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, that's... That that is what the the Roman Church did for centuries. Uh, it was very damaging, but they also gave many many blessings too. So, uh, but I think they are still around, and it's up to us what we do with them.
1: What is the general consensus of the new consciousness that? people within, and unfortunately, society has categorized them as the New Age people. How come it's not growing?
2: Well, uh, New Age is one aspect of it, I suppose, Uh, but I think it is growing. I think it is growing with uh, the study and knowledge of quantum physics, and I think there are people, unlike me, who Mm -hmm. I am not a physicist, but like uh, others who have written books that are pretty understandable. I think it is growing in our understanding. In fact, I just had an interview this morning with a young man who said that the reason he became interested in mysticism was his study of quantum physics, which was very interesting. And uh, so I think that uh, we are discovering both through our own inner experience, for example, millions and millions of people have had Near death, or as they say in the UK, it's an actual death experience, mm-hmm. and they come back and tell mm-hmm. the kind. Although they always say it's so difficult to tell, but they've had an experience of another dimension of reality.
1: Well, that's that, that's, that's their experience, but not according to the medical community. The medical community has an excellent uh, reason for this: oxygen oh. deprivation of the brain. The well, brain is dying. Is,
2: that's not necessarily the medical community. Uh, that's part of it. The majority. But, uh, well, I don't know that's a majority. I do. Uh, There is, well, I just returned from the UK Uh uh, late last year, and there's the scientific and medical network made up of many doctors from Europe and the UK Mm -hmm. who work with, and as a matter of fact, many psychiatrists are trained in how to deal with near-death or actual death experiences of their patients. And so Peter Finnick, perhaps you know, I mean, he has made quite an argument against that with uh, carbon dioxide, he said, said, at any rate, the brain is dead. So how do we account for the experiences they have? Now, for the rational mind, it's very important to know that some of these people who have uh, these death experiences not only experience other dimensions of reality Mm -hmm. and what is going to happen in the future, which in fact does, but they often see such a thing as outside the hospital they're in at a window on the sixth floor, there's a red tennis shoe on the windowsill. And so there are many stories like that. How could they know that? But at any rate, these scientists uh, have had much experience with these experiences, and that has changed them, and it's changed the way many medical doctors in the UK deal with it. And that network has become like a hub for scientists around the world.
1: Well, maybe, if, maybe the rational people in this world would rather like to know how this mysticism can help with the real problems that people are facing today, the social unrest, COVID-19, the economy, the people who are sick around the world, the hunger around the world. Why waste time on mysticism instead of actually working on today, helping people today?
2: Well, that's an assumption that they're not connected. Uh, well, what, they is,
1: what is the connection then?
2: Well, the connection is that people who are having these experiences are doing this kind of work to the, uh, to the degree that they can. Mm-hmm. And it's not separate. I think that's the a misconception is that when there is this experience, it is actually a unifying experience, a realization of the oneness of all of us. And we're com- deeply inspired to work on these social issues. It is very political and social. It's not separated. Hmm. It simply makes us more awakened to what's going on in the world and awakens the heart consciousness, which really tries to work with all people and bring about a better world for everyone.
1: Then if that is the case, I'm going to go right back to my one of my questions from the very first segment. Why are we not all having these mystical experiences so that we could all become one unified mystical family and make this into a better world
2: well for one thing we've suffered several hundred years of a science that was incomplete Uh, telling us that there was nothing and number two we lost and actually uh simply got rid of techniques that would help us to integrate all of the brain components brain the research in brain Uh, science today sees that we have that ability within the brain that can take us to other dimensions of reality that are just as real as this one. And they know that if we can, we are learning through science, if we can learn techniques of whatever that Mm -hmm. will help us to integrate these brain components and connect it with the heart, that more of us will be capable of Seeing the situation in the world and working rationally and conceptually to heal it.
1: So, you said that people can prove they've gone to other dimensions, am I correct?
2: Well, there are many things that, for instance, they are told or they understand when they, let's say, a near-death experiencer, that something will happen in the future, it's going to be this way and this way, and it turns out that it does. Now, for that person, that's all the Mm -hmm. proof they need. Someone who didn't have the experience would say, I want the proof, but that would have to come through your own near-death experience.
1: If somebody can go into another dimension... Is there any way that they could bring proof back from that other dimension back into this dimension? I mean, bes- I mean, besides the psychic phenomenon that they claim?
2: <laughs> you are a Western mind. Mom.
1: <laughs> no, I'm an ex police investigator. We, we are
2: investigator. so trained in that there's no proof unless it's rational, conceptual. These people would say many of them come back with abilities such uh, as that they didn't have before such as and they've had the experiences with loved ones on for instance in my own experience and with my husband who certainly mm-hmm. wasn't on the same road I was with this kind of experience that there was no question in our mind we did not need the rational mind's proof that's because of that it ha- that's kind
1: because of it, happened proof. it
2: happened to you exa- that's the point robert it's exactly but the point but that doesn't mean it's, it's that real everybody that has doesn't to mean it, it that
1: doesn't mean it's 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 A real thing it means it's real to you
2: that's that is a reality yes so basically so
1: basically if it's real to you then it's real even though it may not be real to the rest of the world
2: well it's interesting because those who have experienced realities Mm -hmm. in other dimensions are at home with millions millions of others who have had similar experiences. So they know when they talk with each other, yes, these are what Uh we experience. And when they tell others who have not experienced that, then they remain open to the possibility, especially since millions of people are telling them about it. And there've been so many connections with medical doctors right. in the UK who are aware of these situations and work with them that they see that there are things going on which do give proof sure. of the kind that the rational mind particularly appreciates. So, so it's, it's
1: just like the people who claim to see UFOs. They claim to see Bigfoot. They claim to see uh, flying saucers. They claim to see lake monsters. They claim to see ghosts. As long as they see it, they can believe it. Therefore, it's real.
2: This is a difference between the rational need for the external material proof, which is a legacy of our three to 400 years of material uh-huh. science, right. and the inner experience of uh-huh. the Gnostic, who really doesn't mind if someone else doesn't believe it because they know very well. You have to experience it to know it. Knowing is experiencing, and that's the proof.
1: Not with Knowing this boy. Knowing with experiencing boy. See, my proof... I can see it. I can feel it. I can touch it. It can be replicated.
2: Yes, and that's what they, uh, that is, of course, the difference between the two uh, is that there are things that are so real and Mm -hmm. so powerful that you cannot see and you cannot touch.
1: But the mind is a very, very brilliant tool. And many things that the mind manifests to those who see it is real, even though it's not there.
2: Well we could take that right to right now. are you real? Am I real? Are we really having this conversation? I mean there there are limits to our, to the rational mind's proofs
1: mm-hmm.
2: All right, Dr. I want to thank you very to... much for
1: joining us. Uh, we have uh, just run out of time Dexon exonation if you 'd like to get more information about our guest of this hour. Her website Ooh. is k a m l a k dot com and her name is Dr. Betty Kovacs. Uh, I've had a hard time with this guest, uh, and uh, you know what? As a song by Queen says it all, another one bites the dust here on the x Zone. First time I've used this song this week. It's been a good week. So it seems as long as they believe it's real. So children around the world, Santa Claus is real, the Easter Bunny is real, the Tooth Fairy is real, Leprechauns are real... Bigfoot is real. Why? Because if you believe it, it's real. Well, that's according to this doctor, anyway. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast center and studios in Niagara, Ontario, Canada.